welcome to Unboxing, Play and Profit for the Gaming Curious. I'm Lane Nooney. I'm Joost van Verde. And we are here digging deep on why games matter in today's economy. the docket today, Wednesday, November 22nd. In this episode, we made the prediction that Emma Shear wouldn't outlast the year as the new CEO of OpenAI, and it turns out he didn't even make it to the drop date of this podcast. And if you happen to catch sight about the drama of the latest PC gamer issue, but are wondering what's going on, well, we've got the teardown for you. All of that and more with your two very thankful co-hosts. But first, we've got some catching up to do. Hi, Lane. Hi, Yost. Happy Thanksgiving. Oh, happy happy holiday <laughs> week to you. I've been trying not to say Thanksgiving. You can't always get out of it, but I'm trying to like decenter Thanksgiving. Like in my calendar, I blocked it out as harvest celebration. My syllabus, it's just like fall break, little falling leaf emoji. I'm trying mm-hmm. to be as cognizant as possible of just not slipping into the idea that Thanksgiving is an unreflective holiday and mm. not ever forget what this holiday is based on or what it, it mythologizes and therefore perpetuates an erasure of the genocide of indigenous people, you know, and stuff. And stuff. I, and stuff. Uh, I appreciate that. I've, I'm learning through my 10 year old. I'm vicariously experiencing the story of American history and it's quite, you know, Coming from a different country, you're like, all right, I, I get the gist of it. And there was a bunch of stuff around tea and taxation, but it's like really positioned as like this epic in some ways. When I was a kid growing up in the U.S., you know, you did these things that now I would I would lose my mind if I had a kid. You would be dressed up as pilgrims and Indians, quote unquote. Mm. You'd make little paper headdresses and wear them. What is it? Is it all like turkey hands? And what's the going info for a 10 year old? about Thanksgiving. So it's really the whole story around the early colonists and how that all played out. You're like, huh. Some of it sounds eerily familiar with the Dutch history of colonialization. Totally. You're just like, oh, okay. Um, So so a bunch of people just went and took a bunch of stuff from other people elsewhere. That's interesting. And then somehow they become sort of freedom fighters. Yeah. They manage to like recast themselves as opposed to like these exploitative slave owners. They're like, actually, that was bad. And then we were the good guys now. You're like, hmm, eh, I don't know. Like, I feel like I need to read more. So it's just interesting. I know how the Dutch mythologized their past because it's always the same. Like, hey, you know, yeah, yeah, that whole slavery thing was bad. But, you know, we had great painters that we could afford. <laughs> Look at all these buildings in Amsterdam. They're so nice. It's like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's all all the VOC. It's all United, whatever. East India Company. And it's just like, and so, but it's somewhere along. I mean, it's literally an exercise in history is written by the victor kind of thing. You're like, okay. So you just have the biggest megaphone. And so you just like say it in a nice way. So I find it very interesting to learn. I, I really, especially because my kid goes to predominantly black school. You're like, they're very aware of what's what. It's like, yeah, no. And so, and coming from a cool. Dutch, from the Netherlands, you're like, okay, that's a lot of this new information for me. A lot of new history that I'm learning. Very cool. What are you doing for the holiday? I am suffering through a day of family. And then we're, we're off to the races. So now my mother-in-law is coming fully loaded. So we have this thing where she will come 
and my sister-in-law and her kid. And they basically just load up the car with like food and then they come and then we, we eat it at our place and you know, stay for a day or two. In this case, they're going to stay at our cousins and then the kids are going to go to the cousins too. And then oh. Janelle and I get to spend some mom and dad time for which we give thanks. So so that's that's our plan. What about you? What's on the menu for you? So I'm going out to Amagansett to be with my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was invited to her family's Thanksgiving. They're all amazing cooks. That'll be great. I was just informed there will be an activity in which we watch the lighting of the lighthouse on Montauk. I have a lot of questions about this. First of all, why this is an activity. They were like, also, we're going to go Christmas shopping on Friday. And I was like, I guess there goes my, um, you know, my anti-capitalist, like, uh, buy nothing day practices. All right, cool. (laughs) I'm really not, like, particularly family friendly, I think, as a rule. I think you're very presentable. I think you're very presentable. I mean, this is clearly like a slightly different, how you say, social fabric than you have in the city. You're being pulled out of your comfort zone, which I, I appreciate that about you. But you could just totally like hardline say like, I'm not fucking coming. But here you are doing it anyway. So I, I think that that speaks for you. The question I have is like, why isn't the lighthouse currently on? Like, why does it need to be turned on? Oh, yeah. Like, it has think... it been off this whole time? What's going on? So I don't think it's actually in use. I, ha- I have to imagine it's a symbolic lighting because lighthouses mm. as a as a set of media infrastructure, if you will, have almost been entirely phased out in the United States. I recently read an article about the last lighthouse keeper who is actually a woman. I think she's somewhere on the East Coast, you know, and you look at a photo of her and it's exactly the kind of person you, it's like this woman is wizened as fuck. She is wind swept, you know, she's like a hundred years old. She looks like she was born on the rocks, you know, like, (laughs) That is a female lighthouse keeper. Yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right. So it's, so it's really just the tradition of that. Of yeah. She, re- she, okay. So she is 72. She retires this December on December 30th. She mm. is the keeper of the Boston light of the lighthouse in the Boston Harbor on little Brewster Island. I remember last year or maybe two years ago, there was news going around that also like the park service is selling some of its lighthouses because they don't use them and they're falling apart. And so people could buy them and maintain them themselves. They would not be part of like wayfinding on the shores and things. It's all been replaced with GPS now. It's an interesting media history story. You know, lighthouses are ancient fucking technology. You know, Mm -hmm. they go back to what was there was the light, the famous lighthouse of something or other. Like... (laughs) Oh, One of the wow, eight that's that's fantastic information <laughs> of uh, Alexandria. I was like, I knew they had a library. Was it also a lighthouse? It was one of the ancient wonders, the Pharos of Alexandria, the most famous lighthouse of the ancient world, built yeah. around 300 BCE. Are you sure you're not talking about the high tower in Old Town in Westeros? <laughs> I was like, I was like, are you reading something on the internet about Game of Thrones? That's exactly that's what I'm thinking. That's no, I, I, I really like this. This is a, this sounds like a fun tradition. All right, so that's all the excitement for our Thanksgiving plans. Yost, it's it's a kind of a short news week, right? There's maybe one big piece of games news before we chat about this silly PC gamer 
article debacle, but a big promotion for one of our game industry CEOs happened recently, right? How do you, what's your, what, what's going on, Yoast? Did any of that make sense? You're looking at me like I do. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. What? What are you talking about? Emmett Shear, um, oh! Twitch, right? Oh! That's yes. a promotion. That's a promotion, right? He he goes, to, or maybe maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I guess we could talk about it. But the news came through. There's been this wild stuff happening with OpenAI. The creators of ChatGPT is probably what they're most infamously known for, right? There's obviously a lot of the momentum around the in future investment potential of large language models in particular is wrapped up around OpenAI. Sam Min, who was the founder and CEO, has become something of a kind of tech wunderkid darling. He is considered to be one of the most prominent figures and talking heads in this movement. And he got unceremoniously sacked by the board of OpenAI a few days ago and has since been replaced by the guy who was, until two days ago, the CEO of Twitch. Like, what? It's, <laughs> it's just it's just spectacular. Not somebody out of IBM, not somebody out of and anything really having to do with that sort of background in machine learning, artificial intelligence, any of the companies wrapped up in that. I think this was a real surprise for a lot of people. And it's funny, I was reading Emmett Shear's bio, and it's surprisingly short on Wikipedia for the guy who is now in charge of open AI. Has your phone been blowing up? What's going on? Are, is it's, everyone it's... asking you for an explainer? Oh, yes. <laughs> what the fuck is happening? It's called Yoast Splaining. Now, here's my thoughts on it. So the, it's, as you say, very interesting to see how quickly Sam Altman is sort of removed from office because he is this person that's just at the center of this whole AI thing. I mean, it's just an amazing moment in technology. And, oh, it's the future. And then, of course, there's a few like big deal people in the middle of that, but like, Sam Altman is the main guy. He then gets just rolled out after not communicating with the board effectively or consistently and then who is this invisible board is that some kind of illuminati crew i don't i'm not sure i don't know any of the names i'm sure we could google it but it's just okay so the frontman suddenly gets removed from office by some people that are invisible and who are that have no idea who they are and then they get and they reinstated with Emmett Shear. so the question i got this week is like all right what do you know like what's that's gonna be and i always hesitate to say this person is a jerk because because I don't think people are mean like that. I think that they are better or worse at their jobs. And so the expectations for an open AI leadership position, you have to go with like what Mr. Shear has created so far in his, up until recently, his job as CEO of Twitch. And then it's not so hard to see that there is some room for skepticism. So I preface it by saying like everybody's so worried about AI in general because it's Large language models are, of course, only as good as the stuff that you put in it, the data and the text and the, the subject matter that you feed it. Well, that 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 first. And then secondly, there is no such thing as clean or, or you know, data without a point of view, right? I totally agree. The idea that technology is somehow neutral or objective is naive. And that has everything to do with the way that we construct it. That it has particularly to do with the, the leaders behind it, right? You make editorial decisions, whether you're aware of them or not. And so in some cases, you could say, okay, this person is just unaware of their biases and you could 
maybe forgive them for it. That's just how the world works. And then there is, yeah, dude, but you didn't, you didn't do these things, right? And so my worry around OpenAI under Shear's leadership would be, okay, the precursor is Twitch, and Twitch isn't exactly some incredibly high bar of how things should be run, right? Is Twitch successful commercially? I think so, sure. But should it, Twitch should be a multiple the size of what it is, g- given the in- hmm. incredible popularity among audience. So it's not for lack of consumer demand. It's really, in my mind, the lack of execution. And that some of that is not personally attributable to Emmett Share. Twitch as an organization sits inside of Amazon and inside is because of, Amazon, of the, yeah. and yeah. is totally crippled because of it. It has its own infrastructure. It has its own separate entity, basically. And so it's never really been fully integrated in the way that you would expect it to. And so that's always kept weird, but fine. You can forgive that. This is all happening under somebody's watchful eye, right? And so then there is the moment where you say, okay, well, how do they deal with these more practical problems of revenue distribution of the type of content that makes it to the top, whether the policies that they write, there's a lot of very conflicting and very awkward policy around content regulation, for instance, right? So they, there's a bunch of studies on this, but so you end up basically looking at it and say, okay, well, for instance, when we talk about what's allowed on the platform for Twitch, okay, they have what I think they call it, what is their, uh, their hot tub category, right? Sort of scantily clad women the way that they go about it and i'm basing for instance some of this on a uh, article written in 2021 by uh, bonnie ruberg from the university of california Style oh that's Oops. bo that's bo ruberg yeah oh i didn't know that bl bl the title is obscene pornographic or otherwise objectionable quote biased definition of sexual content in video game live streaming so it's essentially an article that critiques the way that Twitch is defined sexual content through its community guidelines and its terms of service, yeah. right? Which is, you know, and it's just like, oh, that sounds so boring. It's like, well, you know, the makeup of these things, that that, that is the, the mesh that underlines everything. This is the fabric that makes up everything else. And the problem is not that they say one thing or the other. The, the, the problem is that they say multiple things and put and they veer into these very awkward places with this. And so the, the sort of punchline of all the entire article comes down to this observation that in a subsection on sexual violence and exploitation, in its nudity, pornography, and other sexual content, uh, basically Twitch equates sexual services in the same list as sexual assault and child pornography. And it just like piles everything together in this really crude way. And it puts a lot of people at a huge disadvantage. It you know, makes the platform very geared towards preferential treatment of some and a non-preferential treatment of others and it's just look man like you've had plenty of time to sort this out this doesn't really take a lot of brain capacity to solve this and so at some point you have to ask you are a multi like you you make hundreds of millions of dollars a year you're part of a one of the richest companies in the world you can afford a few lawyers to sort this out and get this right and set the fucking example for everybody else but it wasn't done it isn't done and so at some point you have to consider that this is just inaction or indifference. And so if you hold on to inaction and indifference, okay, so that now, is that going to then also determine the rollout of AI in the next few years? I don't know. Maybe we should ask some questions. That's all I'm saying. I'm not, you know, it's not a personal attack so much as to say, let's review your last job and how well that went and then see how that reflects on your current new job. 
That's so most of your critique position would be that Twitch is not living up to its potential mm-hmm. because it's being undertended by sheer. I believe that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to imagine that in some sense, it's hard to imagine that he, that this isn't just like a, he's going into a market in which he is, does not have like high expertise you and and there's a ton of people who want to control the direction that this takes right there's this tension between the sort of open ai that is a non-profit or a capped non-profit and then its investors right that want to kind of shape the direction that this is going it's hard to believe that he's going to be capable at navigating those sorts of pressures or knowing how to bat on what basis he's going to make his decisions i don't know i mean I, maybe there's something for an outsider being able to be more responsible but it's not even clear what altman was fired for now he's over at microsoft there's a real you know big question marks about what's actually going on and who's pulling the strings around all of this and for what purpose mm-hmm. and chances are i think open ai may have first to market but the chance that something else will just kind of climb on top of its shoulders and eclipse it regardless is pretty high in mm-hmm. my opinion the chat GPT route is a really particular funnel. I know it's trying to branch out in a lot of different ways, but this is a horse race of epic proportions. And this is a good opportunity, I think, for a lot of companies that would like to consider themselves in competition with Open. Absolutely. Here's the one part that like gives me just shivers. So Wire published an article about Emmett. And it's like, okay, so it's a bit of a back and forth. And then there's this one quote from a former Twitch employee that ends with, quote, He's got quite an ethical core, and I don't know what that means. What does it mean to have an ethical core? Like, I just think of an apple, and you sort of have this center, and but it, but your center is ethical. Doesn't everybody have ethics? I and mean, then, Yost, have, that... you been pay, have you been paying attention? Like, Elon Musk, ethical core? No. Jeff Bezos, ethical core? No. Peter Thiel? No. Right? There's stacks on stacks on stacks of... C- In some sense, that kind of position of authority is, is predisposed to not having an ethical core, I would say. Right? Okay, you know, but so, like, just, just like, definition, even if, if I maintain ethics that disagree with yours, like, I still have ethics that's isn't that i mean i think i think i think that's a philosophical argument that's a little out of our pay grade right i mean it does get to the question of ethical relativism which it it quickly disintegrates these are the kind of arguments that things like effective altruism prop themselves up on right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, or you mm -hmm. think about the andreessen screed which is what is unethical is anything that gets in the way of the development of ai right but my hunch about a statement like that would be that he, a sense from an employee, that he probably has a kind of middle brow morality. Middle brow. What does that mean? That when somebody says another person is ethical, it means he's probably not going to be compromised by the dangling of wealth. Um, theoretically, would be against producing exploitive systems, although Twitch is full mm. of them, right? These kinds of corporate tech cultures are remarkably good at creating intellectual systems that allow them to claim the thing they're doing is not the thing they're doing, right? So it allows them to occupy an ethical position. I think it's a lot to read in, but maybe possibly what someone is saying or trying to flag is that this is a person who they at least think would care about things like ChatGPT having racist outputs, uh, the risk of it being used 
for bad things, right? I mean, there's an interesting counter argument to the fact that Twitch hasn't scaled, which is that I think these questions are harder than you think. I think we've seen the 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 challenge of them when we look at social media platforms at massive scale, things like Twitter, things like Facebook, the kinds of manipulation and disinformation that can circulate on those platforms. And Twitch has actually not, right? A phenomenal platform for radicalization, Mm. right? And Twitch has not pursued those kinds of growth metrics, although it certainly could. And so possible that would be my interpretation of a statement like that is that there's not a batman villain inside this man is sort of maybe the suggestion whereas i think a lot of our we think of a lot of our really big ceos either having that persona or having this kind of like dumb boy tech genius bright-eyed you know the the sort of sam bankman freed i didn't know i was committing fraud gazooks like that sort of approach to things right just some guy who's been patted on the head way too many times and over affirmed his entire life right maybe it's a nice thing is the fact that i have never before this moment given two thoughts to emmett Shear. i could use a little more of that in my life possibly a ceo who doesn't think he's a thought leader a ceo who is not trying to reshape the world and his own like fucking idea of what the future of humanity is supposed to be I could use a little more of that. Sit down, do your job, turn this into a functional business and like, don't get a bunch of people murdered in the process. Okay. Wow. I didn't expect that I had this much to say, but it turns out. So, so really like, how do you feel about this? But uh, I, <laughs> it's, and it's, it's fascinating. I mean, look, you know, We'll, we'll see think, what this gets us, but I think, we, I think we should do a prediction. Let's and do it. I'm, I'm going to remind you again to put the predictions page on the Substack. But I think we should do a prediction on how long do you think he will be in this role? He's being positioned right now, I think, as interim. Right? Yeah, I think he's getting the job. Is the interim CEO of OpenAI. Do, do we think he's actually going to survive here very long? I mean, this guy is just not used to the amount of eyeballs that are about to be on his jock every single day. The what nice day thing about the the nice thing about the game space is that you can kinda hang out. Like, you know, the the big What does that mean? You can kinda hang out. Is that you're not under the level of excruciating public media observation that you're gonna get with your Twitters, your Facebooks, your Amazons, your even though you are nestled inside of Amazon to, to, to maybe kind of think about what David talked about with us last week is the fact that games struggle to be mainstream mean there is kind of room for no one to notice what you're doing, right? People have a lot of thoughts about content moderation in Twitter. The average American probably has no thoughts about content moderation in Twitch, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? But do we think that this is going to turn into a long-term thing? Do we think that he's going to roll out of this position in some short amount of time? I don't think he's going to make the end of the year. Whoa! So in less, but that's, in a, but that, but that's less a of reflection. That's less of reflection on Emmett. I would totally agree. I feel, I, th- I don't I know think what you're that about this, to say, but well, I mean, you can guess, but yeah, I think it, this is a shit show. I think that there's, you know, <laughs> this. I mean, okay, something exciting is happening here. There's value being created. There's all this enthusiasm around. AI, all this investment, a lot of big numbers flying around. It's the coolest thing right now. There's a lot of elbowing going on. 
And, you know, which is like, why did Sam Altman get kicked out in the first place? I, nobody fucking knows. So, and then why does Emmett get the job? Nobody knows that either. In other words, like this is two major decisions coming from the biggest company in artificial intelligence today. And nobody knows how or what's going on. That creates a risk profile that tells me there's no stability or clear leadership or vision. Therefore, Emmett's job is probably gone by the end of the year. And it'll be replaced by someone else. I would love for that to, you know, not, for, I mean, Emmett is fine. So uh, again, it's like, and it's never about the person. It's really the ecosystem yeah. that we're yeah, doing. Yeah, it's, right? it's, do they even understand who they just hired? Like, what do they think they're getting out of this? What? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I would agree. It's not going to be because he spilled milk all over the floor. Like, I, I just think that the match is not one that feels like it has a lot of coherent, but mm-hmm. let's see. All right. So that's the unboxing prediction. Firm statement by Joost van Drona here. Emmett Shear. <laughs> did you Emmett Shear out by the end of the year? Also, did you like my Dutch? I haven't been practicing. Yeah. Well you have some free time coming up. Alright. Okay, so that's the Twitch news. What else you got this week? The only other thing I had was those PC Gamer articles that I shared with you. The fake news of the sexist PC Gamer article that didn't exist, right? Do you want Mm. me to break this down? I'll start it and then you can tell me where I'm wrong. So PC Gamer was criticized a few days ago for publishing a list of the 30 most influential people in the last several decades in the games industry, failing to mention a single woman. And... That led to a great amount of criticism and hurtfulness among people saying, hey, what the hell? How are we still in this place? Why is a publication like PC Gamer, in fact, as notable and as well-known as it is, how is it possible that they totally overlooked such a clear, what do you even call it? This omission is is vexing. Uh, Let me, so can I I, And that's why I I queue you up. All right, that, that, can I start fact checking you right there? That's so, I'm, I'm laying you in. It's like I this is this is how I read it from the outside in, right? So okay. so so yeah, where you, where does it break said, down? You said that you've been picking, you've been seeing this on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. on social media, but you haven't deeply investigated this yourself. Yeah. So all of this kind of blew up last week. Basically, PC Gamer sent a tweet about how their new print issue was a celebration of 30 years of PC Gamer, right? Mm -hmm. Like a 30-year retrospective of the magazine. And that tweet got retweeted by an account, I think, called Girl Gamers. And the only comment on it, on the quote tweet, was not mention of a single woman, question mark, question mark. And everyone saw that. And because it is actually so believable that PC Gamer could run a feature where they mention no women, no one actually bothered to click the link. There is no article in P- in the issue of PC Gamer that is a list of the 30 most influential people in PC games over the past 30 years. The article doesn't exist. So it's been this weird kind of like fake news situation where there is a number of articles that PC Gamer has done that are these like 30 year retrospectives. And There's some interestingly problematic stuff on some of them. Aftermath, over our friends over at aftermath.site, Luke Plunkett wrote the piece on this. He he did a deep dive and, and pointed out that, one, it seems like nobody actually looked at anything. 
Nobody read the alleged source. The accusation was made with no reference to any actual article, mm -hmm. right? If you go through the issue, what there is, the piece that where they interviewed a bunch of former, I think past and current PC gamer journalists, asking them for reflections, favorite games, thoughts on the history, whatever. They, in that piece, they did not interview a single female journalist at PC mm -hmm. Gamer, right? And so Plunkett does a great job of pointing out, we're all mad about a thing that somehow isn't real, but there actually is this very problematic thing, which is there are women who have been journalists at PC Gamer and no one thought to interview all of them. But I think for me, this... The, watching this scenario, the situation snowball from the, from the outside. Because mm -hmm. as soon as I saw the tweet, I was like, okay, so the way that I saw this was I was on LinkedIn and I saw people linking out to this article and, and making these big proclamations like to the game industry. I can't believe I have to do this, that you don't know that any women exist. Here's a list of famous female game designers and women who have contributed to the industry. And, and I need to stand up in the game industry and say this to support my female colleagues. And I was like, wow, what's going on? And I linked through and I could not figure out what anyone was referencing because people were literally, I think, like in some sense, so accustomed to that kind of thing actually being true that they just assumed it was true without ever going and looking at the facts. But it resulted in this weird snowball effect where then there's these like Twitter conversations and LinkedIn conversations where people are being like, how has no one heard of Roberta Williams or, or like Jane Jensen should be on this list. And I'm like, even though this article is imaginary, there is no list in the world in which Jane Jensen would be listed as one of the most 30 most important people in PC games. Like, there just isn't. So people started making these ahistorical arguments in order to fit women into a historical narrative that actually had never even been presented to begin with. It was sort of wild. Um, I think this is amazing. <laughs> And I have, I, I mean, I have a lot of, I have, you know, my thoughts on why it turns into something like this, right? Hmm. We are so malnourished for historical models in the history of video games that all we're accustomed to is this idea that you like find a name and you put it on a pedestal, right? Part of this is fed by clickbait culture. Part of this is just the way we've seen video game fans operate for decades, which is like, oh, what are the top 10 most important games? What are the top 20 most important people in the industry? When our only method for saying that something is historically significant is to pull out a single individual and call them a hero, then yeah, one, that is the way that you get lists that look uh, that are all men because the list reflects the power structure of the industry, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, but then... The, the counter argument to that is always to do this weird thing, which is to say, oh, 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 but there were women and they're just as important. And in many cases, actually, they weren't, they were not just as important. And that is by design. Like, that's the thing about this that is actually sexism. That's the thing about this that is actually tells you the system is organized around patriarchal power structures, right? Is that these women were never allowed to obtain levels of fame or influence on par with their male counterparts. 
I mean, so, you know, the, the, the screaming around this non-issue, this non-event, drowns out the actual issue that we would probably all agree on. But, like, now it's totally, because it's so disjointed, it has taken a life on its own and diminishes our ability to, like, address the thing that actually drives this discrepancy, this lack of recognition and so on. The systemic nature is snowed under by this yeah. sh shouting contest. Yes. And I think the mistake we make is that we, in order to combat the systemic, you know, patriarchal culture of the game industry, we try and just take people of color and women and insert them into that same framework. And, and I think a lot of the work I have done, particularly on the history of Roberta Williams, has been to say that that is the mistake, is, to, is that we actually don't need to play history on these terms, right? We don't, we are, it is actually, I think, very intellectually dangerous to think that the only way that people get to historically matter is when we put them on a pedestal, because it, what it does is it turns into the opposite of labor history and social history and economic history. It's still just about putting someone on a pedestal so that we can... <laughs> we can kind of remove the backdrop of the actual, the kind of historical conditions that allowed them to emerge as a significant figure to begin with. Mm -hmm. it, it removes them of, it strips them of their context. A thing I've said a lot about Roberta Williams is I get really sick of people kind of throwing her, her around as this like, one beleaguered, but also really, really important inspirational historical figure when I'm, when like, she was also like, in my terms, the co-owner of the means of production. Like she was a fucking capitalist, like a highball capitalist. There was a lot of labor exploitation that happened at that company. There was a lot of labor exploitation that happened on her games. Mm -hmm. And when, you know, the big kind of fraud scandal was unveiled around Sierra in the 90s, it wasn't her stock that, that suddenly had no value, right? She had already gotten her buyout. It was all her employees who suddenly all of the stuff they were saving for their retirement turned out to be worth nothing. And we want to act like none of that is true, right? So that we can put her up in this this list of like important people in games, you know? I'm just not interested in this. What I think of as a very kind of like immature or underdeveloped, that might be a better word for it, argument about... Um, the historical significance of women in games. I think that like the absence of women in game history should be assessed on the reason that is true. And then those histories should actually allow us to tell histories that are different. I just gave you a big, a big historical methods lecture, Yost. That is fascinating. I have a hard time understanding most of that because it's invisible, right? It's the, it seems like it's the, speaking of ethical cores, it seems like the appropriate thing to do is to yell back, hey, here is an error in judgment slash some kind of terrible thing that happened. We did not recognize or whatever. We're washing away the efforts and accomplishments of others in favor of this like grand narrative that we all know is skewed. And we're denying all of that recognition. So let's make that whole by saying it out loud and all sort of form a ring around this thing. And it, I'm trying to understand like underdeveloped as you use it to, to describe it a little bit. Yeah, because like, like, because it leaves no middle ground. And let me play devil's advocate here. Isn't it at least the beginning of a broken discourse perhaps, but it's the beginning of it where we start screaming on LinkedIn and on Twitter 
and then <laughs> launch into like perhaps a more developed narrative around it. But isn't it like at least somebody saying something? Isn't that how it starts? Or like, where do I go from there? Obviously, it is important. Recuperative history has mm. its place, right? And that in order for people, especially young people, to imagine themselves as having a role in a future, they have to see examples of themselves in those histories, right? This is true for for queer folks, for women, for people of color. There's a reason that we want to find our own historical figures in the past. But I think that when we stop there and we simply turn those people into their own versions of a grand narrative, we actually wind up making claims that aren't historically true. Mm-hmm. often right we overextend people's people what we might call impact we fail to analyze context and we again perpetuate i would say the same problems that we see in the ways that the accounts of men tend to take place which is that they're decontextualized they lack analysis of cultural issues social issues labor issues economic issues it's like steve jobs but it's a woman and i think that 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 is itself a sort of historical sickness i think that it perpetuates this idea of the singular entrepreneur i think that it really eradicates the sense that companies are built of people and if you want to talk about ethical right like thinking about Labor relations is a thing that, mm-hmm. right, our histories don't ask us to do when we write about the history of technology because those histories are so often just fixated on on telling us comfortable stories about figures we've already heard of. They're like bedtime stories for adults. <clears throat> I, I very much tend to think that that is kind of like, what is Walter Isaacson's book about Steve Jobs or Elon Musk about? This is a nighttime story for white men. And what I don't want are like, I think we can do better than nighttime stories for anybody, you know, (laughs) does that, does that, so I think when, you know, when, when we get to a point where we're making arguments against things that don't exist, I think we've already gone into a, a problematic space, right. In terms of um, the value of our historical arguments, right. I think it actually does diminish the power of the critique when we when we're not even paying attention to when and where it should be leveraged. So is this is this then is the reaction to the alleged act, uh, omission of women in this list? Is that virtue signaling in your mind? I think that everyone who did it did it on the sincere belief that what was claimed was true, and so I think it was all of it was well-meaning. I would not suggest that it was virtue signaling. And I think that people felt that it was important to make these statements. I I think this is true for all sorts of information we get on the internet, quote unquote, is you've got to click through the link, man. Like you do have to form your own, you do have to look at the evidence presented and form a judgment based on what is and isn't there. And like, yeah, critical reading is an essential part of this, but I I think it also speaks to the ease with which we would just assume this would be true. And they actually did do a thing that was like kind of fucked up and sexist, which is that they did a 30 year survey of their journalists and they didn't interview a single woman. That's wild, that's wild. Like how did no one see that? The other thing I think is really interesting, right? If we wanna have a compelling critique of the PC gamer issue. And, you know, I sent you these links, but they basically have a list of the 30 most important games and moments in 30 years of PC gaming. And they break this up 
and each period gets 10 years, they do not mention Gamergate. I mean, look. And I was like, no, like, like, stick with me here, right? Like, I think that that omission tells you everything you need to know about who's doing the thinking at PC Gamer, right? And the way they understand history, the models that they have for it, and the lack, the interest in turning it anything into anything besides masturbatory material for their core audience, right? I I want to go further because I I tell you, of course, like moments, and you don't mention Gamergate. That's just fucking. You clearly are not a, a serious. I mean, just off top, like, oh, let's do thirty years. Fucking why? why well, that's 30? how long P- that was. PC Gamer's anniversary. It was the thirty-year anniversary of PC Gamer. Well, what a legacy to celebrate. <laughs> well done. To celebrate my birthday, I'm going to say some stupid shit. That's how they thought. Yeah, you know, like I don't, I don't think Cyberpunk 2077 needed to be on this list. You know. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> so, I, so, so I have this. I, I, I read uh, Google News because I like the sort of aggregation, and like, there's always like certain headlines that just irk me. And lo and behold, it's always the New York Post. Like, so New York Post has these like taglines and it's like penny press right like let, what's the most ridiculous thing i can say to get people to buy my newspaper and sell ads against it and i feel like that's what pc gamer did here is their lack of oversight we had this whole interview with david niebuhr you know about games journalism and how that all comes together what's the political economy of the newsroom blah 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 it's all it's like we sit and have these sort of ivory tower conversations and then a week later here it is that's what you're dealing with <laughs> i know I know I couldn't I couldn't help but sort of be like there you go that's why games aren't mainstream like because it's you know they're because they're this is the only version of this we get right we don't actually like how how interesting it would be to have a version of this list that was like really seriously intellectually weighed in on it's also bringing me back the memory of looking at the GQ hundred most important games in game history list remember the celebrating 30 years of pc gamer the look back at the 30 most influential moments or whatever has those same weaknesses right there's no mention of things like how you create a list like this and flash gaming isn't on here facebook gaming farmville like i'm so like i know that it's not your core audience i know that it doesn't affirm what PC gamers like allege like think they want, but if you want to do epic moments in PC gaming, there's a lot that do not fit into the triple A core audience, and there's just like a real kind of abdication, I think, of of any of that, and and that's a bummer because I think it dilutes our appreciation for just how broad and weird and strange and fascinating and actually deeply commonplace games are in society that's it that's the tagline there we go i got nothing to add to that no i look i find it fascinating it's it absolutely seems to embody what david was talking about also to not the the creation of the esrb the founding of the yes the political economy angle is weak here there's a list that could have been full of surprises and instead, there's a list of like, if I imagined what most people, the first thing they would say would be, this is the list. 
Yeah, you know. look, we're stuck in this universe of having to respond to lists compiled by people that <laughs> can't be bothered. So let's I maybe not just... be, let's maybe not be too hard on the journalist here. You know, I'm sure they were working with quite with quite a gun to their head. Um, with but with confidence, you know, I think reporting it, on something I, I that's think, actually incorrect. I think that they, mm. you know, I think that this is reflective of obviously many of the issues we've already talked about in, in games journalism, the issues of having to cater to these core markets. I would actually love to see what was of debate and what was on the cutting room floor. I bet there were some disputes about what yeah. to put on this list, right? What was the number 31 to 40? Already like the, right. the next 10 runners up that didn't quite make it. All right. I think that'll be all the holiday chatter our listeners can bear whether you're listening to this on black friday happy saturday fun day sunday whatever it is right we're we're thinking of you as we eat our leftovers what's the what's do you like to watch the football no i don't really partake my biggest thing is is really the food so because my uh, wife's family you know, they're from Trinidad and Tobago, so it's all Caribbean Ooh. Ooh. turkey. Is it like like jerk turkey? Yeah, like a Caribbean turkey? Mm. Mm. No, well, mm. jerk is more, that's more Jamaican. Like, this is more like um, Callaloo, like okra-based you know, oh, dishes. Okay. So my first five years or so in the U.S., it was sort of more vermont style food. Mashed potatoes also it was delicious. And then all of a sudden, I mean, my wife was like, no, we're doing Mashed this potatoes, one. they're delicious. That's like mushrooms and gravy, like this side. Can we get some cheese or something? Like I'm a Dutchman, like come on. And then it switches over to like Caribbean, and you're like, oh, oh. And it's not. It's like all different animals on your plate: duck, turkey, chicken, ham, the whole ham. It's just it's it's too much food. And so the the best thing is always the next day. We all right, we did the thing, and now we just get to sort of pick at what's left. It's like God, that's my favorite thing because it has no pressure, like the pressure that comes with particularly like November and December holidays, I find the obligations a little uh, suffocating. And so, so this particular one is really my favorite because it doesn't have any of the ceremony. Like you would have like hmm. Christmas or Hanukkah or any of the, like Kwanzaa, like it's all they're much more ritualized. Whereas this is just like, yeah, you sit around and eat. And then when you get tired of listening to the other people, you go to a room by yourself and take it up. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I just, I need to learn some of these skills for handling holiday you just go to a you just get a you just pour a big drink and you disappear you just want you just wander off you just meander okay. into another room and like, hey what's up and like oh i found this book in your bookshelf or like oh i just decided to go for a walk does anybody want to come i'm going to go to the deli and get a thing whatever i don't know if that's a possibility wherever you're going but you're in new york you can always just like christmas day you're like hey i'm just gonna go to the bodega see if they have any rice krispies <laughs> whatever you just <laughs> Wander out for an hour and a half and just mind your business. It's amazing. And it's totally understood. That's what the thing is. Like, it's understood. I like it. All right. So, do you have any pose and owns? Do you have anything? I mean, I, I've, I got got a, I've got both a pone and an own, so I can do whatever you need. But you, why don't you do both? That's, that's, my, what? That's, that's my holiday gift to you. Oh, were you just lazy? You didn't find your own? Yeah, just I'm just very neutral this week. Both of mine are news that I found uh, hanging out at Aftermath.site. A, a, is that your new the, favorite site? They, they actually, like they actually, times. 
they paid me to say this, in fact. <laughs> Aftermath outside. But uh, Pwn, Bandcamp is definitely suffering after getting spun out by Epic. This just sucks. You know, it's a, it was a cool, good business. And these acquisitions are just so typical of the sort of dumb and ravenous nature of this sort of business behavior. This company's pro- can barely keep it... it can, barely keep its its lights on it's having layoffs it's probably not much long for this world and a thing that like actually a lot of people liked and worked pretty well isn't gonna exist anymore because like epic needs to make sure that like you know uh there's more focus on 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 the future of the creator content or whatever you know it's just a bummer that it's gonna putter out right around here my own would be these very cute photos of Timothy Chalamet at Kojima's at Kojima Productions. He was apparently doing some press for his the upcoming Willy Wonka movie, and he stopped by to hang out with Hideo Kojima, which is actually a pairing that somehow makes total sense to me. But he's in this really cool jacket. Have you seen these photos, Yost? It's, I'm gonna um, send you. No, I I'm see it. You. He just yeah, he just right? stole that from the House of Atreides from Dune. He just stole that jacket off the set. That's what happened. Yes. Yes. The, the, the Harkonnens. It's a Harkonnen leather jacket. Who cares? Who cares? It looks hot. I wish I could be in that jacket. I Tim- would like to wear. Timothy you know. is like, you know, uncomfortably attractive. Like he's just like, <laughs> dude, can you just like chill out a little bit? Leave some charisma for the rest of us. My one funny Timothy Chalamet story, and this is not a story about meeting him, but uh, a few ex-girlfriends back, I dated a woman who had a 16-year-old, and she was just, like, she just came in one day just, like, exuberant about Timothy Chalamet, Timothy Chalamet, and I was like, you know, I'm like, why does that name sound so familiar? And she's just screaming about how hot he is and whatever, and then I just blurt out, oh, you mean that fey boy from Little Women? (laughs) <laughs> which is maybe the closest to boomer i've ever sounded you know wow the fa- oh you mean the fay boy from little women oh yeah that's fantastic <laughs> i would have been anyway. canceled i'm pretty sure i would have been canceled if i had said something like that. oh if you had said that yeah um, that was a homosexual household, so it was okay for me to say that. You know, I, I always like these being the, you, you regaling me with these anecdotes. It's always good to hear about the other side, like to which I have no access. But I do believe it's interesting. I'm mostly excited about all of this because Dune Two is apparently coming out a little faster. Supposed to come out at the beginning of this month, oh, and, and it did not because of the strike. And, you know, I never so. even saw Dune 1. Is it? I tried ah. to read the book and I was like, this is dreadful. Why would I? Yeah, and then the, I just the never. Book is also, I was a big fan of the first version from like the 80s, like with Sting and of it, that, that first one. And then there's like a whole like documentary about the original creator of the universe. I forget what it's called, but it's really uh, interesting. I'm sure okay. you know. And then I mean, you can Google this stuff. But so, the, so Dune is a franchise. It's always, you know, some of it is totally cheesy and obvious, but there's also like, I don't know, some nostalgia there for me. So the original Doom was cool. I like that. I've watched that many times over. It's a little bit like in the same echelon for me as Blade Runner. One of these like sci-fi movies from way back when, and it sort of carries forward. The books, ah, so-so. Uh, but then when you, the, the new interpretation, I really like it. It's very dramatic. It's all these costumes and like this deep guttural kind of experience. 
And of course, Daya is in there. That's an immediate, what do you call it, green flag. I mean, you know, it's, it's a spectacle like nothing else. So I, for months, been, I would watch it on repeat. I would play the music and the soundtrack for like Wow, this is, so this is big dad energy. Okay. I really, really enjoy that universe. And that's part of, and then I'll stop talking about it, but I truly have grown only recently into the understanding that when you like comic book where you like a narrative a movie whatever it's like what you really do is like you you teleport into that reality and just sit in that world for a bit like you can go to a theme park or you can go to an online world i believe like these like these like spectacle universes like it's fantastic just to to sit there and be in that i find it so fascinating and it's constantly challenging it's constantly giving you a different view of things that's what i like about doing like it's a really interesting interpretation of things which a lot of people will probably disagree and say I'm an idiot. I don't care. Like I enjoy that. That's my thing. And so I'm excited for Dune too. That's why the Saturday Night Live performance with Timothy was also interesting uh, to me. In many ways. Oh wow! You know the whole Timothy Chalamet metaverse. You've got all the meta texts. You, you know, know what's going on. I sometimes wonder what can I buy next? Can I buy digital skin? What's happening? I need. Well, I, need, I need that jacket in Fortnite. That's really I, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this is what would get you. Uh, good news. So the so it will release March fifteenth, twenty twenty four. That is the tail end of South by Southwest, mm. which you may be at. Or we will be uh, hopefully together at GDC. We could just go see it then. Let's do a viewing. I'm all for it. I want to see it high def. It would be. I'll be at South by. So maybe watch it there, but like if we're both at GDC, let's set a view right now. So already we already have that first RSVP for the unboxing holiday party. If you recall, we talked. Oh about last yeah, week. I did. I did see that comment. Oh yeah, and I this is helping me remember that a another listener said they wanted timestamps, probably so they don't have to listen to our bullshit. You know, and they can just get get to the news. I'm looking at you, Lane, right through this camera into your camera. And then, but, you know, so we can follow up our, like, unboxing, like, conference with an unboxing viewing cinematography experience, spectacular. And then, don't forget, we're going to co-watch the GTA 6 trailer. So, hang tight. There's a lot. We're going to produce some video content Mm -hmm. for the first time. So, we're going to embargo ourselves until we can get on video together. And, and watch the trailer. After to, four to, seasons to of just audio, we're going to start season five with visuals. We're upgrading. I like that we just call it a new season every three and a half months. That's a real good trick to make it seem like we've been doing this a lot longer than we have. You know, All right, my man. Happy Turkey Fest. In happy Harvest Happy Harvest Celebration Week. I will definitely celebrate the harvest as hard as I can. I wish you do right. the same. Good luck in Abagesset, and cool. may may the light yeah. light the lighthouse be lit for another century. Uh, have a great have a great time in Brooklyn. I'll I'm jealous. And with that, good night. Oh yeah, and, and with good that, good game. Good night and good game. There we go. <laughs> See ya.